all fell for it. Ha-ha! <laughs> you thought carpooling was over, thought we were done, thought we were down for the count. Little did you know. It was just one week, guys. It's just one week. The insane... The, the riots outside of my apartment. You guys were so upset you went and burnt down Notre Dame. That was really uncalled for. In the same week that carpooling did not air. You can't call that a coincidence. We're very sorry that we didn't soothe your dark cravings with our dulcet tones. Dark cravings? Yes. Hmm. You should be one of the guys that does the flavors of ice cream. Oh. Uh, because dark craving sounds like a good one. Yeah. All right. Creamy dark cravings. Quick point. Okay. This, uh, this, uh, the crown of thorns that was held in Notre Dame. I've seen it. Oh, have you? Yeah, when I was there. Oh, I, okay. That's not real. Right? We were talking about, like, the, I don't even know what the proper term is for, but, like, relic? I was going to say artifacts, but relics is a good word, that, like, the Catholic Church keeps? Yeah. I don't think so, because a lot of times they have, like, John the Baptist's funny bone in, like, three different places, if that sort of makes sense. Ah, gotcha. So, I I don't think it is, but it's kind of like, it's tradition. Yeah, no, I get it's tradition. I'm not saying that it's not important, but just, like, I just have a real hard time going, like, that one specifically, I I don't know about that voice. I think back in the day, it was almost like an advertising thing. Like, you could be like, you gotta come to our Catholic church, you know, we've got the jawbone of the donkey Samson used to kill the Philistines with. Oh, heck yeah, who and wouldn't want to see that? Right, and so you show up and you bring your money and your family and you spend it on that, and, you know, that's that's pretty good profiting, if you know what I mean. I smell, yeah, I smell, yeah, we need to do Mad, or mad Men circa, you know, 200 AD. Right. That'd be a, that'd be a hoot. That would be really... That'd be a hoot and a half. Really interesting. Um, okay. Let's jump right into this next point. I had the most interesting human interaction I've ever had in my entire life today. Well, thanks for I didn't think you had to say that about me, but I'm really happy you did. Yeah, it had nothing to do with you. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So I get a call from a number I don't know, and I answer it. Uh Uh-huh. And it's the, this is IRS. You have done a big fraud to IRS. Now, local police, you know that one? Yes. Where they say that you're you're fraudulent on your tax, they instantly start looking for... uh, you know, personal information, they ask you to call back. Anyway, I yep. call back, and I give a joke name. You call back? Yeah, I call back. Okay. I, I give a joke name, and I tell them I live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Of course. And eventually they figure out, like, okay, I'm screwing with them. Right. And so they hang up on me. Well, I just keep calling back. Uh, just redial, 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 redial. Because if you're going to steal money, I'm going to waste a bunch of your time. Right. That's equivalent. That's an equivalent, like thing to steal because so, money is time Christopher exactly so they, they got me anyway exactly um, so anyway I'm, I'm calling this this guy back I keep getting connected to the same one and I just say hello because I'm just going to screw with him again right and he recognizes my voice and he just starts uh, he just starts hanging up on me instantly so the next time I heard it, him pick up I just I unloaded both barrels I uh I just let him have it you know uh huh and I was like, you miserable piece of whatever I said. I was like, why do you do this? You just get up all day and steal from people and scare the crap out of them. And I, I let him have it. Right. I got to a really dark place before it got better. Sure. Anyway, I was like, you can hang up on me again if you want. But I'm, I'm just not, uh, I'm just going to keep calling back. 
I'm going to make your day as miserable as you're making everyone else's. <laughs> and so then he goes, I'm not going to hang up on you, sir. And when he says it, his voice breaks. This guy was crying. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's never, I, I've berated scammers before, but, like, never, ever have seen any emotion. That's bizarre. And I was like, are you crying, you miserable? <laughs> you know, I just right. laid into him again. Right. And he completely broke down. Seriously? Yes. He was like, do you think I enjoy doing this? You think this is what I want to do? He goes, I have a knot in the pit of my stomach all day, every day. Wow. So weird. So, and so weird. I, I You're the bad guy now. Well, he tried. <laughs> I, I right. started talking to him. I said, I said, then don't take one more call. Don't take one more call. Get up right now and walk out. He goes, I've got to get this money to get you know, onto the next thing. And I asked him some questions about how much money he was being paid, yep. uh, which he answered and told me how many people were there and where they were at. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was so weird. That's and, bizarre. Uh, anyhow, it was really good. Uh, he said his name was John. He didn't want to give me his real name. But sure, yeah. Anyhow, um, it, it ended with with him talking about this a new thing he wanted to start and he just needed a little bit of money. And I was like, Johnny, nothing that you start with this money is going to be fruitful. You can't build something good off of a lie. And I said, at the end of your life, it doesn't matter how much money you made. Yep. It matters how much time you didn't have to spend feeling like you're, spe- like you're feeling right now. You have to do the right thing. And uh, he, he said, like, okay, I'm going to go look for a new job today. Really? I said, even if it's harder, even if it pays less, do something that you can be proud of. Wow. And he, he was, like, on board. It was the weirdest thing. Anyhow. It's bizarre. I, I was thinking maybe this was like the next level ploy. Like I know. how you get the bad guys like, to give I you money. I just need $2,000. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, oh, I can write you a check for two grand, no problem. No, but he's like, I can hear like the, his coworkers behind him. His guy's just like sobbing at his desk. And wow. so anyway, he was like, I, I have to go. And I just said, Johnny, do the right thing. I'm praying for you. Do the right thing. Wow. Crazy, right? That's it was just what... super weird to actually crack that egg. Wow. That is bizarre. Anyhow, anybody who ever said swearing at a stranger on the phone couldn't do something good, you were wrong. You were wrong. Um, Look at us now, Mom. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm we've glad come so far. I'm glad there's not a recording of that call. <laughs> um, just the second half. Yeah. Okay, anyway, welcome back to Carl Pooling. This is back. a show that takes place in a car, a live conversation between two brothers about topics that... You need to learn something about, and maybe we'll even yell at you and swear sometimes. Yeah, when you're doing, when you're being a, when you're being crappy a, scammer. Yeah, we uh, ain't got time for that. So I'm gonna go ahead and assume you have nothing in the way of roadkill today. No, I think we give it a pass today. All right, it's not, it doesn't have to be an every week thing. It can be as the. That's uh, my favorite part of the show, Hunter. Well, roadkill. There's a possum. We did it. Did you enjoy it? Was that good for you? It was great. Okay, great. Now we can now we can move on. I haven't had time to dig into the Mueller report stuff, but the way that the media tries to slide sideways on it is really wonderful. Yeah. Some of the headlines from CNN were just like great. Um, Some people say sometimes that it may not be bad. It's uh, it's really exciting stuff. I I'm yeah. I feel like there's a whole thing there, but I don't know. Like. We need the real thing now. Like, that's the thing that's going to shut everybody up. Yeah, well, I think it's getting released, or it just got released. Okay. So I haven't been able to elbow into it. Okay. Well, uh, cool. Anyhow, I, I guess Anumalish Genesis Part 3, Creation, The Fall, subtitle, 
now it's it's back and reloaded for real. For real this time. Matrix. Return to Mountain Illuminesh. Mazeltov. <laughs> Mazeltov. Mazeltov. We're uh, good. Yeah, the, I mean, Genesis is an incredibly Jewish book. That's accurate? I I don't have anything else to say about it. It was just... Like, if you, have you ever read it in its original language? Hebrew? Hebrew? Yeah. It's just... Wow. They really went for it with it. I can't believe that they actually did that. Yeah. That's that's shocking. That takes guts. It's kind of like Jewish fan fiction. No? No? No, it's not? I don't think it is at all, actually. <laughs> all right, never so, mind. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think we left off... Did we leave off right at the garden? Like when Eve's about to chomp into that sweet, juicy apple? I think we did, yeah, right... Well, we did right after that, right? Because we did through them realizing that they were naked, and that was yep. this commiserate action when Marduk, when Marduk formed humanity out of the blood of the deceiver. We kind of went down that road. And so we were just at the yeah, other side right. of the garden, uh, or of the eating of the apple and the beginning of the fall, basically. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I think there's some interesting points here. Um, I think... Should we make any of them? Nah, let's just quit the show right now. We're done. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, our next podcast is going to be about... It's going to be similar to Carl Pulling in that it takes place in a car, but it's going to be a cooking show. Right. Oh my god, can you imagine how fuck wild that would be? That would be... Actually, that's a great idea. We should do We should do a show. We're, we're so off topic today. We should do a show, Christopher where we do a cooking show, like, on the streets, like, in, like, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And, like, record it and... Like, on the side of the road. Right, but we, like, bring all our own stuff. And I think, like, uh, the rolling segment on a comedian, just me getting absolutely mad at you for forgetting an ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> and you having to go buy it from somewhere around us. Like, <laughs> this but is only good... using the bartering system. But only you... Yeah, um, you have to, like, take, like, the first... You have to take the appetizer to get the... <laughs> to get the ingredient for the entree. Oh, my gosh. This is great. But We're not I, doing it. But I sold the the... Crudite to buy you the ranch dip. It's like the gift of the Magi, but right. on, for street cooking. Yeah. Um, and hopefully with a happier ending. I, I will tell you, before we get off this topic, my bass player, as far as uh, confectionaries that you can make in the car, uh-huh. he has this converted toaster that has two fat, but sh- but fat, but not as wide um, panels uh-huh. on it, and two circles in the top of the toaster. So okay. it's the same toaster, but the openings are different. Okay. And it is for cooking hot dogs in the car and also toasting the buns. What? Brilliant. Why? And, and it plugs in through the, through the, like the DC uh, jack in the car. That is... So you can have a delicious hot dog on a toasty bun on the go. <laughs> I'm worried about your choice and basis. <laughs> it's the greatest. That's the most basis thing of all time. It kind of is, like, actually. Where are you going? I'm going out to the car. Oh, you're going to smoke? No, I need a hot dog. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I just can't with these people anymore. I need the open road and my dog. If you think deep, deep in the bowels at Dragon Con, I haven't eaten a, a Bucky's car hot dog. You're wrong. You're wrong. Um. All right. So anyway, Anumalus, there's some interesting points. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things here that are pretty cool to touch on. I think one is like actual um, childbirth. 
and how that kind of gets played out here in Genesis. Yeah, there's um, a lot to say about that. Yeah, I think another one is probably like um, the unspoken desire to return. Return to the garden. Yeah. I, I think there's also some interesting things about fruit and snakes and the human brain. Okay. You want to start there then? or well, well, they kind of fold into childbirth. We should probably go through childbirth first. Right. So this is kind of... Um, so one of the things that's really interesting about human beings is, uh, is the size of our craniums compared to other mammalian species. Yes. And what I mean by that is, your head's big, dude. That's like layman's terms. And so one of the things that's interesting is You've probably been watching, and Christopher, I know you have, like the Discovery Channel, and you're like, wow, that baby giraffe just fell like two stories. Oh, and it got up and just walked around like nothing happened. Right. No big deal. And so, and this is the same thing that happens with dogs. Um, Surprisingly, this is just an interesting fact for you guys. Um, Hyena babies, when they're born, actually immediately start trying to kill each other, which is a bizarre thing that happens, but... Anyway, most mammalian species come out of the womb able to defend themselves, able to, not necessarily defend themselves, but able to, like, run. You know, like, they're standing in hours and stuff. And so, the thing that should really strike you about that is odd is how defenseless a human child is when it comes out. Um, You know, it doesn't fit the bill. You know, if you're a mammal, you would expect a similar um, development cycle, essentially. Sure. And so... Babies are coming out, and they're, they're, I mean, like, children that you'll see, like, they can't even hold their heads up. They're completely helpless and defenseless. And so, there's a really interesting reason for that. And this is something that you obviously know. Babies' heads are just massive. They right. are huge. It, it's why there's no bare midwives. Right, exactly. I mean, like, they're just absolutely big, giant heads. In fact, babies are, like, almost all head. You know, they got lily bitty arms, and they're all pudgy and squishy and soft. And so, the interesting thing there is, if you took a mammal creature that was our size, and you assumed a gestation period that is normal for mammals of that size, basically saying, you know, okay, this is how take big... That, take the average gestation period multiplied by size, yep. basically, yep. and then take the size of a... A, a human-shaped creature and divide that coefficient. Uh huh. You wind up with two years. Two years. And so that's a bizarre thing to comprehend because it basically means that your mom should have been pregnant for two years. And if you think about a two-year-old, well, you can imagine the size of a two-year-old, right? They're yeah. a little bit bigger. Um, they've definitely got a big old freaking head too. But the other thing about them is like they can run, they can talk, they can do, they can jump. You know, they they have a lot more mobility. Um, they're not completely, you know, capable of protecting themselves, but the difference between, uh, and I guess I should clarify, I guess it would be the difference between a newborn baby and a one-year-old, um, like three-month child, essentially, right? That, that's actually what you should be thinking about. That's what that should be born if we follow the same timeline, essentially. You're saying back it off nine months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so... The reason for that is because your head is so big that if you were to be born when you're one year old and three months, essentially, uh, there is no way you're coming out of mom. 
right? Right. And so the reason... Our, our pelvises are too small for our heads. Yeah, exactly. We, we wouldn't make it. And that's also one of the reasons why you're born at nine months is because your skull is un, uh, it hasn't formed all the way. It isn't fused yet. And so... It can, can, it can squeeze out. It can squeeze out. It literally... That's the scientific term. Yeah, it, it, it squeezes. Um, so that that's kind of insane if you start to think about it. It's like your head is so different from other mammals that it actually requires a different gestation process and makeup and like physical skeletal makeup to be able to support it. Right. It's very interesting. And so... But Hunter, yep. what does it have to do with Genesis? Well... It has to do with this side. Well, it, we get there, but it, it's <laughs> okay. like it's like um, there is a certain ratio that your parents, that your mother's hips, have to be between the optimal the optimal distance apart to run and the optimal size to have a child where it isn't completely helpless. For, that's, for a mother. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's exactly where your mom's hips are at, essentially. Is they, they sit in that ratio, which is pretty amazing because it means mom can run away and protect herself to some degree, and she can give birth to you without dying. It sounds like you're trying to make a your mama joke while having Asperger's. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. And so right, this so, is a crazy line that comes out of Genesis, which is yes. you will have pain during childbirth. So after we eat the apple... God swings by and he goes, Adam, Eve, where are you? It's also interesting to note here. That, well, I'll get to that in a second. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they go, we've hidden ourselves. And he goes, why would you hide? And they say, right. we're naked. Because like we talked about last week, they realize their vulnerability. Yep. And so they understood that they all of their body parts, in a lot of ways, unlike un- other mammals... All of their delicate, vital body parts were uncovered. And they had this knowledge of how to do evil to others and then, or, or what could hurt them, which gave them this knowledge of how to do evil to others. That's what the tree knowledge of good and evil gave them. And so they were hiding, and God came and found them, and he said, you ate of the tree, that's how you know that you're naked. And then Adam blamed a woman. Um, we won't name names. Yeah, but one of them. <laughs> but one of them. And then God starts listing off punishments. He punishes the serpent, he punishes uh, Adam, and he punishes Eve. Mm-hmm. Uh, punishment for Adam was you'll have to till the ground and it will only give forth dust and this kind of thing. Right. Basically this concept that now you have to work. Come, that, which comes from the knowledge of vulnerability, which is the knowledge of the future. It's the knowledge of the... Right. right. Now you understand the future. Now you have to store up. Right. Because now and, you know that you can run out of stuff. Right. And, and by the way, we have very often right. for the entire history of humanity. Yep. And uh, then to Eve, he says that you'll have pain in childbirth. And he says to the serpent, you'll slither on your belly and you'll be at war with the sons of Eve. You will bite their heel and they will crush your head. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Really cool stuff. And so the question here is too, like, why would the rise of the knowledge of good and evil and the knowledge of the future essentially in the same breath give human beings pain in childbirth? Because God does a really good job of, like, tying your sin to the appropriate consequence, if that sort of makes sense. Like, the reason you shouldn't commit to adultery is because it's going to ruin your marriage. 
you know, the reason you shouldn't steal is because it's, you know, it's, it's bad game. You'll get locked up in prison. You won't be able to make any game. You know, there's pretty good ties like in, uh, within religious law for and, that sort of right. stuff. Right, and, and there's even more, more rote concepts. Like, you don't have sex with everything you can find because you'll get a disease that will rot your genitalia. Right, exactly. Or you don't eat pork back in the day because it was almost impossible to find it clean. Yep. Like, some of the precepts had their own built-in consequences. Right. So, the thing you should be asking yourself is, what in the world does this sin have to do with the consequence? Right. And so, the interesting part about this is, your brain contains more possible neural connections than there are atomic particles in the universe. And that sounds like I just lit the biggest joint ever, <laughs> but I didn't. So, the way there's a there's a way to get here, and the way that you do that is with something called the Eddington number. Um, yeah. Eddington actually, when he created this number, actually did it incorrectly. He was about half off, which is pretty funny. But it's been it's become such a popular number describing this phenomena that it's what's used today. And so, the Eddington number is essentially a theoretical number of all of the subatomic uh, uh, subatomic particles in the universe. The way you get that mm. is you take the volume of the known universe, you assume that the majority of the universe is hydrogen. Which, which is it, a very valid assumption. Right. And then you determine in that volume how many hydrogen atoms on average would you expect to see. Right. And so then you take whatever that number is, uh, I should say molecules, hydrogen molecules. Take whatever that number is, and every hydrogen atom is made of four subatomic particles, a proton and a neutron, and three quarts for the proton and one quarts for the neutron. Multiply... Are you saying quarks? Quarks, excuse me, yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm a little sick. <laughs> but I'm making it work today for you guys, so appreciate me. And so what that means is there, the number comes out to something like 3.1410 to the 86 which is a massive number. Now, here's the crazy thing. If you take the amount of neurons in a human adult's brain, mm -hmm. it comes to about 100 billion, which is a lot. If you take a factorial of that number... Which, just to give that some credence, your if you've ever heard in you know software or machine learning... Uh, the idea of training a neural network. Right. What you're doing is you're building a system that has input and output nodes, and the connections between them create these these very complicated um, transformations of the data, effectively. Yeah. And the reason that it's called a neural network is because all of the nodes tie to all other nodes, which is built on the architecture that appears to exist in our brains. So the reason it's called a neural network yep. is based on that architecture. Your brain, therefore, is a neural network. It was the what the original neural network was based on. Mm -hmm. And the proper way to identify the linkage there, uh, e.g. the connections between the neurons, would be taking the factorial. Yep. And so with that, so you complete that out, it's a massive number. Because it you start with 100 billion. 10 to the 11. Yeah. And then you get a, a number that is probably is just astronomical, right? It's it's, it's massive. Um, and so, for those who don't know, factorials work like this. You take, 
in this case, you would take 100 billion and then you would multiply 100 billion by 99 billion, 999 million, 999,999. And then you would take that number and multiply it by la da 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 with an 8 at the end, da 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 with a 7 at the end. And, that, and that's, you would do that all the way till you got to 1. Right. So, like, 5 factorial is 120. Right. Exactly. It's a, it's a massive, massive change. It's a good way to understand, like, how many variations are in a deck of cards, too. Sure. Um, but anyway, the point being is that is what your brain is capable of. And in a sense, it's like this. You are able of taking in and processing more stimuli, more abstract thoughts, more ideas about things, more future selves that you don't particularly understand and run them through simulations. Connect all those points and logic in your head. There's more permutations of that than there are atomic particles in the universe. Right. It's insane. Our brains are incredibly complicated. So. Incredibly complicated. And our skulls are what store them. So, if you want your prefrontal cortex to actually do something, step one is to know the future and to get a really big brain like that. And so, what the when we're talking about when Eve eats the apple and gets the knowledge of good and evil, which we've taken to be also the knowledge of the future, the consequence of that sin, of getting, of gaining that knowledge, of becoming, of do, of eating the thing that God told you not to, is that you will have pain during childbirth because the human brain that is, that is required to process all that information is entirely massive, and it's insane that the exact reason why we have pain in childbirth is first explained in the Bible before they even knew well, what a neuron was. It goes even deeper than that, yeah. too. Uh, back in the 1970s and 1980s, I can't remember the name of the researcher off the top of my head, unfortunately, but an evolutionary biologist was examining the different parts of the brain and the etymology, basically trying to answer the question, why are human heads so... Uh, so much larger relative to chimp counterparts, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and they examined the amount of our brain that was used for the visual cortex, effectively. And then tried to look at the evolutionary etymology of those portions of the brain. Because a very significant portion of your brain is dedicated, volume-wise, to being able to see. And the answer that he came up with was so that we would be able to detect ripe fruit. Think about that for just a second. Way back, thousands and thousands of years ago, the Bible says you ate the fruit and it opened your eyes and it required, it required pain in childbirth. That was the payment. Right. Then in 1980, from a completely non-religious angle, humans found out the same thing. That when we, when we, our eyes were open specifically for the purpose of detecting fruit. Pretty fruit, amazing. Fruit opened our eyes and caused our heads to increase in size. That, that shatters my entire universe. Because it's, it is note perfect with the story in the Bible. Yep. And it's also not clear in the Bible that Adam and Eve had had children before that time. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, it, again, you get into this kind of sticky situation where is this the is this the final act in the play that's playing out in Genesis two of the creation of a human being mm -hmm. potentially, but at any rate, it 
how how in the world did the savages that were writing the Bible have access to that kind of in-depth information? Yep. It's shocking. The other thing that was theorized as far as a reason for the growth of our prefrontal cortex was threat detection. And we basically had three predators back in the day. Birds, cats, snakes uh, were our main predators, especially snakes in ancient Mesopotamia, which is the cradle of of humanity from what we can tell. And, And it's interesting. You know, in theory, especially like say in America, you show a child a picture of a gun. They're not afraid of it. Not so if you show a child a picture of the snake. We have ancient ingrown circuitry that is able to detect the patterns that snakes make in the visual cortex. Yeah, even... You react to a snake the same way you react to touching a hot oven. No one has to teach you to get your hand away. It's impulse. It's an impulsory arrangement in your... your, uh, I can't remember the name of that thing that does the impulse. Something back here. I'm touching the back of your neck. Medulla oblongata? I, I, can't, I don't know. Okay. Um, it, it, but it's an impulse reaction, especially if the, you see that pattern in the bottom 50% of your field of view. It's that specific. Ah. And so it, it's, it's ingrown in us, one, to beware the snake, and two, to have ripe fruit. And it's insane that the Bible is saying the things that opened your eyes were the snake and the fruit. Pretty, pretty wild stuff, for certain. It is absolutely wild stuff. Yeah. I, I think it's also interesting, too, that um, that threat detection that we're talking about is the same kind of neurons and pattern... Uh, neurons that are utilized to, like, alert someone of danger are the same ones tied to, like, cursing. And so it's, like, one of the reasons it's not a good idea... To, one of the reasons that it's funny to curse is because it tells everyone around you, oh my goodness, there's danger. Like that's just that's just kind of how your brain works and how it reacts to that sort of thing. And so one of the reasons why we inadvertently laugh at cursing is because if you do it in a moment where there's obviously no clear or present danger, it's funny because everyone gets a little shocked. Like it's just like, oh my goodness, what am I? Oh, it's nothing. You know, it's right. that it's that pattern that gets played in your brain. That's why we laugh at it, and that's also one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of cleverness when it comes to, like, you know, comedians that only curse. It's because that's a pretty easy reflex to abuse. By, that by sort of clear and present danger, are you talking about, you know, like an actual, like an active threat that's present, or yes. the movie with Harrison Ford? Well, okay. You know what? <laughs> because if I saw Harrison I, Ford... I still think it's funny to swear at that movie. <laughs> why? Just because you okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I love Harrison Ford. I okay, you just like swear. I shouldn't talk bad about America's space dad. America's space dad. Um, at any rate, rest his soul. At any rate, that's that's correct. And and not only is that biblically linked to having pain in childbirth, but mm. it's scientifically linked mm. to having pain in childbirth. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things that I just keep falling in love with in the Book of Genesis. The ideas that are in Genesis, the, the truth in Genesis exists without the historicity, the historicity being factual. Yeah. It, it's so much deeper than that. Yes. And the, it tells a story about who we are on a level that doesn't require seven days or ten million years. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it's, the, it's too good. It's bizarre because it like it gets things right about us, 
from a story perspective before we ever kind of knew the hard facts about it. And it's like, well, you it's can't... before we had the hard facts to know the hard facts to know the hard facts to know the hard facts about it. Right. And it's like, we had no concept for it. Right. And so the thing that's interesting about it is you can say you can't prove it, but it's very, it, but at the same time, it's like the story Genesis is definitely true. And like, everyone knows that it's true if they study and look at the science like some parts of it just come out to be correct but the question that you should be asking you know it, the question I think we should be asking ourselves is how much is it you know be, just because a portion of it is unprovable you know what does that actually mean to us and how much how much coincidence are you willing to grant these authors right exactly before you just go they didn't before, know anything. before you don't believe in the the bed that you sleep on or the chair in your apartment. Right. I mean, how much how much evidence do you need? Not not casual evidence. Deep, abiding truth. Yeah. Uh, the the learning about learning about fruit and the size of our craniums and the intrinsic link there is astounding. It's shocking. Yeah. That people would luck into something that complex at a time that they did. I also think, and I think, I think you, I think you really nail, uh, latch onto that fruit example. The one part to me that's always just been shocking has been like understanding the complexity of the human brain in that moment because, and especially tied to childbirth. And I love that picture because what you could, one thing you could say is that human beings are by far one of the most complex... No, they probably are. They have to be the most complex thing we've ever observed in the universe. It, it, out of everything we've ever met, we probably haven't met anything as complex and as difficult to understand as one individual human being. Right. They're, they're an absolute... It's unmappable. Like, if we were to actually sit down and start, like, writing out the way that you perceive things, the way that you think about things, and, like, took detailed notes about the anatomy, the parts of yourself that you don't even realize are taking place in your body that are carrying things out, and then your personal traits, your the way you react to good news, the way you react to bad news, all the things that, like, are the chemical spirit and, like, body that you inhabit, like, just you alone is, pr I don't even know how many books it would take. And the thing that is so incredible about that is how many people are abandoning children. Yeah. Because children going into orphanages, people not wanting to have children, are essentially saying to themselves, I don't want to have to bring forth the most worthwhile answer to our current time. Right. Right. And it's like the only thing that can deal with this world, the only thing that has the ability to perceive, take in the information, and create something out of it that's unique, beautiful, and wonderful is the human mind. It's the only thing we've ever known that can do that. And the fact that you are denying yourself of the opportunity to take that journey is shocking to me. You're, you're absolutely striking gold right here. Yeah. We've talked about it on the show before. The reason that there's... It, it, in some instance, a moral imperative to have a child right. is because it is the thing that connects you to the future. It's the thing that makes you treat the present like a gift that you're going to give to someone that you're responsible for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when you have when you have that knowledge of the future, it changes the way that you behave. When you start preparing 
the world that way. One of JBP's 12 rules for life is treat yourself like someone you're responsible for taking care of. I think it's rule number two in his book. Um, that's, that's, could not be more useful from a practitioner's perspective uh, to instill that value into your patients. But it's, all, it's also the proper mode for taking care of children. And there's a, a cavalcade of chemical responses that you have to a child giving birth to a child or being in a mated pair where the woman gives birth to a child that reinforce that concept. But it's all about the knowledge of the future coming to bear. Right. And that's exactly, exactly what happened in Genesis. It's not by mistake that the knowledge of the future was linked inextricably to childbirth. Mm. It's not by accident. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, Hunter, and, and, and this is why, this is why I think this is a decent answer for why God put the snake in the garden in the first place. Okay. Because people aren't opposed to having sex. They're not opposed to the creation of the individual. Okay. They are opposed to the next part. The hard part. The, yeah, the sacrifice. The sacrifice required. Right. They're opposed to the responsibility because you're right. The human, the, the divinity of the individual is the answer to the malevolence of the present. But it doesn't come about without hard hard work yeah. on the on the behalf of the one who would bring that to bear whether it's in your own life or in the life of your child right you have to you have to expose this thing to malevolence not yeah. only is it hard work responsibility you know it's almost kind of a trope to say that there's the there's the parent or the teacher that doesn't care that doesn't want to put in the energy yep even more primal than that and even more chemically difficult is is taking the thing that you love the most and exposing it to evil yes even harder yes that's what God did when he sent his son to die on the cross of whom we are to emulate I think that's also what he did when he put his snake in the garden I know that that's a difficult concept and I don't I'm not sure but it's an answer that satisfies me because it was in that moment that that evil entered the world and also in that moment when we were given the skills and the tools we needed to overcome it yeah I, it's, it's a beautiful picture I'm not saying I understand it perfectly but it is a beautiful picture yeah I, I, I like it I, I, I have a few issues with it that we talked about last time I haven't sure. thought through them all but yes I, I think it's pretty cool but yeah um, you know I think we gave the people what they wanted, which was two brothers talking about creation for a third time. They yeah. asked for it. We gave it. They I, loved it. I feel like we could do a billion episodes on this. Yeah. But I think we probably wrap it up for now. I think so, too. I feel like, and I feel like, you know, the main thing I want you guys to take away from this is um, what you may have learned about the world might have been too simple. And... You shouldn't discount um, the religious and narrative that is guiding your life and carrying it forward because it has surprisingly relevant context to your life today and to the actual scientific laws that we've discovered since then. Not saying you have to believe it, not saying you have to buy into everything hook, line, and sinker, but... It's shocking to me how accurate 
that story is to, to describing the condition of humanity as created. In fact, there's probably not a better way to describe it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if my closing thought would be the prevailing, the preva- when you look at the evidence and you look at what's actually written and you look at what is true about humanity and you juxtapose that to the idea that we, we were begot from nothing by chance in the method that we laid out in episode one of this series and then you juxtapose it to the Bible, a lot is left wanting in yeah. the balance between those two stories. The, the Bible continually proves itself to, if not be historically true, to be empirically human, human mm, an empirically true story about the human condition. I'll put yeah. it that way. Yeah. And so, look down your nose at that at your own peril. It is a story about malevolence. It is a story about evil. It is a story about the greatest, the greatest wrong that was ever done, original sin, if you will. It's also the story that tells you how to combat it. Mm-hmm. Genesis. Genesis, baby. We did it. There's nothing more to say. <laughs> yeah, the Tower of Babel, that was just the fun footnotes. All right, so You can find the show. the show at a place on the internet. You can, list, you can subscribe to us on Instagram. Follow us uh, on okay, iTunes. Now okay. shut up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Go to our website, carlpooling.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Follow the show at carlpooling at Twitter and Instagram or carlpooling podcast on Facebook. Leave us a positive review on any of those sites. Facebook, iTunes being the most important to us right now. Send us the email, carlpooling at gmail.com. Follow Hunter, Twitter, Instagram, at emotionalcarl, me at chrisxcarl. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to you guys more soon wrapping up genesis who knows what next week will bring but i know that right now you need to get the heck out of the car because we're home